the last week in the life of Jesus. That whole little video is a storm. There's lightning. It's raining. It's, it's meant to depict those dark days in which rain comes into our lives. The last week of Jesus was a very tough week on him. It was, uh, it was challenging for sure. It was emotional. You're going to see some emotion in these next couple of weeks. Even today, it was harsh, and it was kind of insightful. It was instructive. Today, we're going to walk through some things that he really wanted us to get, and he really wanted religious leaders to get, and they, they didn't necessarily, but he did his best to communicate it. So, so here's a question just to get us started. What brings out the best in you? Like, what would you, how would you answer that? What brings out the best? Love, for sure. Helping others. Oh, these are all the right answers. Wow. Wow. I, I love that. Yeah, my wife. Oh, this is sickening. My, my husband, my wife. It's true, though. These people bring the best out of us. What brings out the worst in you? My wife, my husband, my wife. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> it is interesting that what we see happening in in Mark chapter twelve, and that's where we are. And stay with me on this. Mark chapter twelve. We're five days till till death. Okay, actually four. And so what's happening is Jesus is in a situation where this is bringing out the best in him because he's. He's calling people to accountability. He's doing everything that he's waited to do. Remember last week, he cleansed the temple. He's, he's on this passionate move toward reconciliation with the world and bringing truth and not holding it back at all. But he's bringing out, that truth is bringing out the worst in the religious leaders. The more he talks, the more they want to kill him. And the tougher it gets on him. And it's all going to come down to the end. In just a few weeks as we look at it little by little. Number one in your outline today, in your program, if you want to go to the back page, or again, the Timberline Church app has this outline in it with the fill-ins, feel free. Here's what it is. Number one, it's the truth about these particular religious leaders. We're going to look at the truth about where they really are. This whole message this weekend, I've simply called it nothing but the truth. And there are four areas that we're going to talk about the truth in. Those are the four main points on your your outline there. There are four categories of truth that we need to know that Jesus never compromised in. Now, I'm not a big fan of the word religious leader, okay? (laughs) How many of you know they're not all corrupt? Okay, okay, good, because I am one. And and I don't like the word religion because it kind of insinuates to me man's uh, doing good, doing good enough to, to earn something with God, and if we're good enough, we'll get there. And, and I don't like that idea. Someone the other day actually said to me, are you a Christian? And it threw me for a loop because, you know, obviously I'm a Christian in the sense that I understand the word, but there's so many subcultures now that are titled Christian that I don't think are really doing good kingdom work uh, under the banner of Christ's name. So I said, well, let me just put it this way. I, I'm working really hard in my life to follow the teachings of Jesus. And they said, okay, I can live with that. I, they said, can I use that? I said, no. No, I'm kidding. 
course you can't. Let me, rather than reading this, this is a big chapter, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read sections. But let me tell you what happens in the very beginning of Mark 12. If you have a Bible, you can read along or you can just watch with me. It's a story. I like stories. Jesus tells a story, and he's talking to religious leaders. Now, these religious leaders happen to be corrupt. Keep that in mind. So he's trying to tell them a story that they are in, but they do not yet know they are in the story. He says, a farmer buys this beautiful farm, builds like a palace, a tower. The crops are coming in. It's gorgeous. And all of a sudden, he decides to move to another country. So he works with other farmers in the area. And he kind of rents out space. And they go in together. How many of you know farmers still lease out their land to other farmers? And it's kind of a together thing. That's what's happening in the story. So when crop time comes, it's harvest time. The farmer, the owner of the, the land, sends a servant back to collect his share of the crop. Well, the farmers who have been farming the land beat him up and send him home and don't give him anything. Well, that wasn't the agreement. The owner sends another servant. They beat him up and send him back. He sends another servant. You can read it. It's all in there. And they kill him. Finally, Finally, the owner is distraught, doesn't know what else to do. There's only one person left. It happens to be the heir to the farm, his son. How many of you know where we're going with this? His son. That's a giveaway. So the owner sends his son to get his share of the crop, and they kill him. And then there's this question and this little debate about what's the owner going to do when he comes back and finds out his son is dead. What Jesus is doing is he's creating a picture of what exactly has happened with the religious leaders of this day. Prophets have come. They've stoned them, killed them, sent them back. They have not responded. They've hardened their hearts. They're doing their own way. And the owner doesn't have relationship with the farmers. That's been broken. And that's why Jesus came. We pick it up in verse 10, and it says this. Jesus is talking. Didn't you ever read this in scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, which is the most important piece of the house or the building. He's pulling out scripture from the Old Testament, Psalms 118.22, and he's saying, if you had studied scripture, you would know this day was coming. In other words, I'm the cornerstone. I'm the one who is coming, and now you are going to kill me. This is the Lord's doing and wonderful to see. Verse 12, they finally get it. Their eyes are open. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they they left him and they went away. That's a very important piece of this. They didn't hang around and say, what must we do to be in right standing with the real cornerstone. They left. They walked away. They didn't heed what he was trying to tell them. So here's the question. I have a a main point, four of them, in your outline, and a question for each one. This question for this point is, will I respond to a healthy warning? Will I respond when someone gives me a warning, will I go, oh, thank you. I didn't know that. I, I appreciate that. How many of you would agree that a warning is better than a ticket? 
<laughs> we have cops around Timberline, so all you guys just know, we love you, all right? We love you. I would rather get a warning. I've had a couple warnings in my life. One of them was up at Horsetooth, that road that goes all the way uh, down Horsetooth. At some parts, it's like a highway. So I'm just cruising along 45 miles an hour because that's the speed limit. I thought it can't be slower than that. The road's too good and all that. So I come down the hill. I see a, a cop car sitting there, and, and I look at my speedometer. How many of you do that? I didn't hit the brakes, though, because I really wasn't speeding. And uh, <laughs> I was going 46, and I just kept going 46. And his lights came on, and he pulled me over and said, um, do you know the speed limit? And I said, I think I do. It's 46, isn't it? He said, <laughs> I said, it's 45. He said, uh, no, it's uh, 35. And I said, well, you probably would know. <laughs> I honestly thought it was it's just such a good road. My bad. I was speeding. He said, driver's license, registration. I'm like, okay, I'm done. He goes back. He comes back and he says, look, I'm going to give you a warning instead of a ticket. But it is 35. And, man, I was so happy. I'm like, that was really nice of you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I really do. And I will heed the warning. And I, and I do. When I drive on that road today, it's 37 or 8 or right in there, right in there. 35, that's it. 35. I don't want to get pulled over again. We live our lives getting healthy warnings. It's a good thing. Um, it's one of the best things we have. A street sign that says, warning, danger ahead. Um, but here's the deal. Warnings only work if you listen and if you receive them. They don't work if you don't receive them. I get so tickled at, at our kids who are raising their kids, our grandkids. It's just hilarious. I just love it. You're about to go into time out. I just have to turn my head like, oh, this is awesome. I saw a joke the other day that had mom and dad in a room full of about five kids, toys everywhere. Dad looks up to mom and says, can you please put me in timeout? <laughs> then you have, you know, this is, and I'm not picking on people who smoke at all, but have you ever seen a, a pack of cigarettes? Like the warning label is like the whole pack. Warning, warning. Warning, and I've never been a smoker, but some of you are people say to me, do you think smoking will keep you out of heaven? I'm like, no, I don't, but it might get you there before you're supposed to be there, so please pay attention to the warning, all right? Just think about it. Think about it. And then, and then you have food, you know, warnings on labels and stuff, but my favorite of all are the TV ads. It is just, it dry, it's, I laugh out loud even when I'm by myself. I laugh out loud. I saw it the other day, and I was trying to write it all down. It happened so fast, but it was some new drug, and it had this, this kind of retired couple walking on the beach. The waves are come beautiful setting, very romantic, and it talked about this drug and how it can change their lives. And then it said, it may cause irritation and itching and dry mouth and vomiting and bleeding, joint pain, headache, blurred vision, dizziness, diarrhea, scaly skin, neck on back pain. And then the whole time they're holding hands walking on the beach, the music is like, The narration is just this monotone. All this stuff that's going to happen to them, and they're smiling. La, 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 la. Like, is this, 
Everything is wonderful. Warnings. Warnings. Jesus is giving a warning. That's what's happening in the story. But they're not listening. And it, it, it does pose a question for us that I want you to take seriously today. Is God warning you about something? Now, I need to say this. Some of you grew up in religious systems that were guilt-ridden. I mean, man, you had to say prayers and do things and make it right, and you just lived up guilt. You lived guilty your whole life. I'm, that, I'm not interested in that because God doesn't want that for us. I'm not talking about false guilt. I'm talking about the love of God knocking on your heart and saying, could you please pay attention to this relationship? This is going to lead you somewhere you don't need to be. Can you take a look at this credit card here for just a minute? Can you just pay attention to what's going on in your mind right now? Because this is not going to end well. That, that's the Spirit warning us because of the love that God has for us. Let's heed the warnings of God. They didn't. Number two. Man, aren't you glad that point's over, huh? Wow. Number two is the truth about our identity. This is one of my favorite little places in the Gospels. It's told a couple times by a couple different authors. But Mark, he's just short and sweet and says it. But it's a wonderful story. And it has to do with their identity. They're trying again to trick Jesus. All of these are tricky. The religious leaders are trying to trap him. So here's another uh, way that they're trying to trap him politically. Verse 13, later the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod, government stuff, to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, now listen to all this buttering up, okay, this is hilarious. We know how honest you are. You are impartial. You don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Don't you love this? Which, it's all true, but they were kind of mocking it. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Big question. It's a loaded question. This could get him in serious trouble with Caesar. So Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and he said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he said, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. What happened was he turned it on them. So here's how I like to view the story because if you understand the context of the word image, that word, the imprint on the coin, is a Greek word. The word image in the New Testament comes out of a Hebrew word in the Old Testament all the way back to Genesis. It's a parallel word. When you translate that word, and guess where in Genesis? Right in the beginning where it says, let us make man in our own image. That's the word. So what, what Jesus is doing is fantastic. He says, whose image... In other words, this, this temporal stuff, whose image is on there? God's? No, no, Caesar. Oh, okay. And I think he flips the coin back at him. Cool. Caesar, that's that stuff. But what is God's? 
Why don't you let that be God's? What he's doing is he's saying, you are created in the image not of Caesar, but of God Almighty. Now, boy, if you take that seriously, it is a powerful statement. That means that you are not man-made. It means that you are created as the only you there is in the universe. There's only one of me. Can you say, thank God? There's only one of me. There's only one of you. So I'm, I'm challenging you. You are created. In, you know, if you have a low self-esteem and that's a struggle for you, I wish I could pull you up and pull you out of that and, and let you get this in your heart. Because no believer who believes God created us in his image should ever live down here with how they feel about themselves. You don't get it if that's the case. And I love you and I'm pulling you out of that. You're created in the image of God. You're his best. That's why I want to be the best that I can be because I'm the only one of me. So it's up to me. It's up to you. Be what God had in mind when he created you because no one else can do. Those gifts, those talents. And that's what he's saying to these guys and these religious leaders. That Caesar stuff, psh. But when it comes to the image of God, you better get it right. I love that. How much are you worth? You're worth the death of God's son. He put a really big value on us, didn't he? Wow. My question for you is this. Will I give my all to the purposes of my creator? Will I give my life to those purposes of why I am created in the first place? So you are. Many of you are just saying, I live for that. And I believe it will make you love life. When you live in the fullness of God and you know why you were born and you do the stuff God puts in your heart, you will love life and you will love what you do. My image is a reflection of my creator. And will I give myself fully to be the best me that I can be for my creator? Let's move on. Number three. The truth about the greatest commandment. Now this, this is another trick that they're trying to do. They're trying to trick him into making a choice that he would make bad and then they could accuse him of not knowing scripture. The truth about the greatest commandment goes like this in verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Boy, that's a loaded question. That's like saying, who's your favorite kid? You know, it's just, it's just really tough. But Jesus didn't even flinch. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And he goes back, if you're doing cross-reference, Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, you can read that later. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. 
And boy, they didn't know what to do with that because that is the greatest thing that, that we have in Scripture that we can do. I've been thinking a lot about this because I had a moment in my life years ago. This is back in the late 90s when Timberline was formulating its peak structure and slogans and themes and we were building websites and we were trying to come up with short ways to describe our church. And I had heard someone say, can you give an elevator talk that lasts 20 seconds to describe your church? I happened to be walking with someone. I was uh, teaching at a conference in another state and they said, I've heard of Timberline Church. Tell me in a nutshell, what is Timberline all about? And I, I said, well, it's about loving God first and loving people. And it's about accepting people before they change and, and, and being slow to judge and quick to love. And I rambled on and on and on. I, I bored myself. I mean, when I was done, I was so embarrassed. I finally said, that's not what you're asking. It was like over. He had to leave. I left. So when I got home, I told Bonnie about that and I said, I want God to put something in my heart that can be a statement about who we are as a church. And the very next morning, I was reading this exact chapter and this story. And I did the cross-reference over to Deuteronomy. And it's like God just put three words in my brain that have never left me. Let love live. Say it with me. Let love live. That became the genre for for me in my life to say, the love of God is alive and well. It's us who mess it up. And so we as a church took that on. And we, we started putting on almost everything we print. Because that statement is the greatest commandment. Let it live. Let it live with God. Let it live with people. Let it breathe. God is the author of love. And so as a church, we've worked really hard to try to say, Let's let this be our story. Let's let the love of God change people. I have a question for you at the end of this here. Will I love God with my all? Will I love God with everything? Not just the the Sunday morning, but my all. Everything that I am and I am becoming. We can learn a lot by who we are. I don't know how to judge this. Like in my life, I've, I've used two criterias to see what I love and who I love most. And that is my time and money. And this is just me. But every year when I get those evaluations of my, our budget for our family, I always want to sit down and say, how's this look, God? How's this really look? Am I... Am I showing that you're number one in my time and money? Am I showing that my family and what I care about most, is it reflected in, in these two objective things? They're not subjectional. You get people all the time, oh, I love God, I love God. But they don't, they don't serve the kingdom. They don't think about it. They don't help. They don't, and, and so it's important for us to say time and money. Do that with your life and think about where God would take you. Because when you really love God, then you're going to love God and you're going to love the things that God loves. You're going to love the people of God. Love the world that God put you in. Love the neighborhood that you live in. Love the people you work with. Love the lost people that need the Lord. Love the people that don't even like you. It's hard to do. Really hard to do. But you can. You can. God loved us first. Remember that passage somewhere, John 3.16? How many of you know that one? 
For God so loved that he gave. Way before we said yes. Okay, last thing. The truth about giving. I'm just going to take a second on this one because we talked about this a few weeks ago. But I love this little story. It's the story of the widow who, who puts in a couple of coins and it's more than everybody else. Verse 41. Jesus sat down, this is funny to me, near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Can you imagine that? Hey, Jesus is here today. And he's going to be at the back box when you leave today. And he's going to be watching. (laughs) That's funny. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him. And he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. There's a couple very important points here that need to be made. First of all, Jesus is making an observation. He's not giving a recommendation as it relates to amounts. There's tons of scripture about being a good steward with your finances and paying your bills and saving money. So it's not about every time you give it all away because you can only do that once. But he's trying to say here is someone who is giving with a pure heart. It's not like the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders who are dropping in their money so everybody can hear it and see it and saying their prayers on the street corners. It's not a show. Their giving is from the heart. It's pure. It's before God. It comes with great intention to honor and respect and fear the Lord in the right way. That's why Jesus brought it out. And that's why my question for this one is simply this. Will I give from the heart? Will I give from the heart? Will I be someone who's not afraid to say, man, I'm going to give not just because someone asked me to and certainly not out of guilt, But I want to be a part of this thing. Guys, that's a huge thing forward if we can do that. And it was sacrificial, no doubt. I'm not taking away from that. But he's looking at her heart and sees it. I'm concluding with three questions at the very end that I I want you to really ponder. Matter of fact, I would hope you would take these for a couple days and just think about them. Will I learn? There are three things I'm hoping you'll learn. Number one is, will I learn to receive truth? Because truth might be in front of you, but it doesn't mean that you're going to receive it. Will I receive that warning? Well, how, do, how am I going to handle that admonition? It might be a person that you just as soon wouldn't say it, but it's still a warning from God. And God is using them. It might rub you the wrong way, but is it true? Because if you can't receive warnings, you can't do the second thing. And that is to live in the truth. Will I learn to live in the truth? I I can't live in it if I don't receive it. So it has to be in a sequential order here. I receive the truth in my life. Now I'm going to live in that truth. You know what that does? That changes my decisions. I'm no longer going to do that. I'm no longer going to partake in it. I'm I'm severing that relationship. Why do I always end up drunk when I'm with that crowd? Why do I always end up doing this or that? Well, I've got to make some changes in my life. 
So, so these are important things if I'm going to live it. I'm not going to live deceiving myself. Oh, it's okay. It'll work out. No, it won't. There are consequences. And the third one, huge. If I receive it and I live it, will I learn to give it away? You know, as I look out across all these all these rooms and in the South Auditorium, I was looking in there earlier today at you guys and I was just thinking, man, there's a lot of leadership here at Timberline. You guys are amazing leaders, employees, work. You have an opportunity to invest in other people. A lot of the ministries we do invest in a lot of people. Thank you. I mean it. Thank you for being that in our city. Now I want to really challenge you. I was one of those kids that had a wonderful family, grew up as a believer. And I, I've told this story briefly, and I'm going to tell it briefly again, but I, I'm making a bigger point. There are five of us kids. I have four sisters. I'm in the middle. And when my dad got cancer when he was 38 years old, we didn't know what would happen. But he suffered. And he died at 41. And he's buried in Grand Junction, Colorado. And it left my mom, who had never worked outside the home, it left her with an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, which was me, a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old. It was overwhelming to her. If she was here, she could tell you about it. She's still living, very healthy. It was different being the only male in our household. There were a lot of challenges that, that I had faced, and I'm sure my sisters had their own as well. We've talked about it. But I remember some of the men in the church after my dad died who took me under their wing. You know why? Because they had received truth and they were living truth and now they wanted to give it away. I remember one man, Mr. Benatendi, who said to me, he knew that I loved motorcycles and, and I raced motorcycles, dirt bikes, and, and he said, you don't really have anyone to take you to the track anymore, do you? I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, I'm going to pick you up next Saturday, and we're going to go out to the track. And I remember racing my first motocross in his boots and his helmet <laughs> on my motorcycle. And he cheered me on. Had another man who took me camping with some other guys and some, other, some of their kids. And it kept me, it just kept me healthy and kept me strong. And I didn't know at the time, I'm a 14-year-old kid. I just think they wanted to hang out with me, but they didn't. <laughs> No, they might have, but you know what I'm saying. They were investing. They were investing. And that happened most of my life as people invested in me. And I was reminiscing nine days ago on a Friday night. All that came back to me because of this moment. I was sitting at a wedding with my wife, Bonnie, Hannah Archer. Many of you know the Archer family. She's actually our youth director at the Windsor campus now. Was getting married. And we went in and sat down randomly, and I just sat there for a moment, and I noticed the three ladies sitting around me, besides my wife, Bonnie, who was sitting next to me, Mary O'Dell, Myrna Schwent, and Leah Rose Gelling. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but it meant a lot to me, and it actually brought a tear to my eye because all of them have lost their husbands. And their husbands were in primary leadership spots in this church in 1986 when Bonnie and I moved here to become the lead pastor. I had never been a lead pastor before and I needed a lot of direction and a lot of help. 
And those three men took me under their wing. They invested in me. They believed in me. They helped correct things when I was not making good decisions. They, they watered my soul for years and years and years. And when I think of those guys and many like them who are in heaven today, and some of you who were there back then who've invested in watching our kids and helping raise our family, I am overwhelmed with the fact that people have invested in my life and they've invested in the happening of a Timberline church in a community like this in northern Colorado. Why? Because if everyone does their part, strength comes to the entire organization. That's why when you pick up the mantle of knowing you are created in the image of God, you can't do what everyone else can do. You can do your part. And I am humbled and overwhelmed to be a part of something like this because you guys have said, I'm not just going to live selfish. I'm going to take someone on. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is such a big thing. Thank you that you didn't just walk around on this earth, but you picked 12 guys and you poured your life into them. You told them stories. You, you called them over to teach them truths and they received the truth and they lived the truth and they brought the gospel to the world after you died. And that's where we are today. And we thank you. And we trust you. With heads bowed, in this serious moment, two things really. I don't even want you to raise your hand to this. I'm not trying to find out who it is. I just want you to acknowledge it. If God's giving you a warning, it's just a sensitive, soft spot in your soul. That's all it is. Pay attention to it. What is he saying? Get it right. And don't do anything until you know for sure. His voice is calling you because he cares about you and he loves you and he does want the best for you. Please heed the warning. Some of you, it's obvious. And you need to break off that relationship. You need to change something. You need to, you need to just deal with it. Today, it's, it's it. Today is the day of change. And I'm inviting you to do that with the help and the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life because he will help you and guide you. Lord, please help those who have said yes to this. Please be their strength. Please let them read the label that warns them. Give us what we need and the strength to do it and the friendship to do it and the accountability to do it. Lord, I just pray also for those who really want to invest in other people. It's not something they can just run out and pick someone randomly, but just in these next weeks and months, would you show us a way to put, to find people who are coming in our path that are asking us and they're longing to be nurtured or mentored or taught. Help us just to walk along. If it's just taking a kid to a racetrack, it's just showing up to help them ride a skateboard. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that we would be sensitive to the needs of those around us that we don't always so readily see right in our backyards. We love you for that and we thank you for this church, your church, your kids. And may we always let love live by the power of the gospel. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.